Well, once again, praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to see each of you here. I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles once again and turn back to Revelation, the ninth chapter. Revelation chapter 9. We're continuing in our series in the book of Revelation. Uh, this morning, we will continue to look at the trumpet judgments uh, that we've been considering here. Uh, last time we were together, a uh, week before last, we considered uh, the first four trumpet judgments. Today, we'll consider trumpet judgments five and six. Uh, we'll look at uh, the uh, uh, the seventh uh, judgment in the future. But today, specifically, we're going to look we're going to look at the uh, judgments of the trumpets five and six. And in this passage of scripture, what we're going to find is that God, by way of these trumpet judgments, is ultimately, if I can say it this way, imploring and dealing with people that they might repent of their sin. Everything by way of these trumpet judgments has the declaration and the proclamation that God is calling men and women, sinners of all kinds, to repent of their sin. One of the things that we have to remind ourselves of is that these trumpet judgments are not ultimately designed to bring about a disaster to humanity. They are designed through judgment to call humanity away from its sin and the faith in Jesus Christ. And so this whole idea of God working in the circumstances and situations of life, God providentially controlling things, you must remember and I must remember that God's purpose is that you and I might turn from our sins and live. That was the very purpose of the reading of, uh, of Ezekiel 18 this morning. This idea that God is calling sinners everywhere to repent, to look to Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And so what we're going to see this morning in this ninth chapter is that God will bring about the judgments by way of pestilence and by way of warfare, all with the purpose, all with the purpose that sinners might repent. So again, we'll take a look at this ninth chapter of the book of Revelation. Please hear the word of God. Revelation uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through uh, 21. Revelation, the ninth chapter. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man." And in those days men shall seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared on the battle, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men, and they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. 
One woe is past. Behold, there cometh two woes hereafter. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed and were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were two hundred thousand thousand, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the, in the vision, and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire, and jacinth, and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three were the third part of men killed by the fire, and by the smoke, and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth, and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents, and their heads had with them, and I'm sorry, and they had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not that they should not worship the devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see, nor hear, nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornications, nor of their thefts. Well, what a passage of Scripture this is. This passage of Scripture comes to us in a way that causes us to wonder exactly what is being said here. And many interpreters, as, they, as they've come to this passage of Scripture, have interpreted this passage of Scripture by way of symbolism and by way of trying to describe things that maybe have happened in the past or things that will happen in the future. The approach that I've been taking to this book of Revelation is that the things that we're seeing here are things that will indeed happen in the future. And however we understand the things that are represented here by way of either literal or by way of symbolism, we have to make sure that we understand that in the things that are happening here, God is calling humanity to repent. This is the purpose of God throughout all, throughout all this uh, book of Revelation, that men and women might repent of their sins and come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to handle this passage of Scripture, and I want to take a look at it, and the really three things that we see in the passage. Number one, I want to consider the judgments that God is bringing upon the earth by way of the pestilence of these locusts. We'll consider what these locusts are, how should we understand them, how much of symbolism is being, is being involved here. We'll take a look at those things. The other thing we want to take a look at is these four angels and the horsemen that they release, this, this, this uh, bringing about of warfare that destroys a third of humanity. How do we understand that? But the thing that we really want to focus on is the fact, the bewilderment almost, that yet in spite of all these things, those that remained upon the earth did not repent of their sin. What this reminds us of, as I've said a number of times already, is that God is calling throughout all of the word of God. He is calling individuals to repent of their sin and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's consider each of these things that we see here. The first thing I want you to take a look at is the, uh, is the fact that in this ninth chapter, what we have is we have the beginning of the three woes that were spoken of there in chapter 8 in verse 13. Notice what we have here. And beheld, I heard an angel, some of your translations may say an eagle, flying through the midst of the heavens, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices 
of the trumpets of the three angels which are yet to sound. And so this ninth chapter brings to us these final three woes. These woes are all intended again to bring men and women to repentance and, through, and to faith in Jesus Christ. And this fifth angel now sounds as we see in verse 1 of chapter 9. And we notice the following. And the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fall from heaven unto earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. One of the things that we've taken a look at as we've worked through this book of Revelation is how much of the book of Revelation is symbolic and how much of it is literal. And one of the things that we have to be aware of is that the entire book of Revelation in a very real way is the conveying of truth by way of symbol. And so there is much that is in this book that is symbolic and we must understand it in a symbolic fashion. As a matter of fact, when we see in, uh, in, in uh, verse 1 of this ninth chapter, we see a star falling from heaven. But immediately we're reminded this cannot be a physical star because this star is referred to as he. He was given the key of the bottomless pit. And so what we're seeing here again is this, is this uh, usage of a star that really is conveying the image of an angel. And so what we're seeing here is that an angel now is coming upon the earth. And what is this angel doing? What, and to what has this angel been given? This angel has been given a key whereby he is able to open the, the, uh, the, uh, the door of the bottomless pit. And what's happening here is that we're beginning to see these judgments come upon humanity by way of the design of God. These judgments upon humanity are given because of humanity's sin. Also, I would say to you that if we were to look as to where we're at in this book of Revelation, I would say to you that we are now properly in the time known as the tribulation. What we have happening here is not so much a description of great events that have happened in the past, even though there are things that parallel uh, here, uh, there are things that parallel in history, what we see here in this ninth chapter. But what we're really seeing is that which is still yet to come by way of God's judgment on humanity. And so what we have here, again, is this reference to this great angel that is given the key of the, uh, to the bottomless pit. And notice what happens as a result of it. Notice again, verse uh, 2, And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of the great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came up out of the smoke of the pit locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Well, this has given rise to a number of uh, uh, questions as to what is being described here. Do we have here a reference to actual locusts? Do we have here a reference to something by way of demonic forces? And the way that I see and understand this passage of scripture is that whatever else is going on, we do have genuinely demonic activity taking place here. However we understand these locusts that are given here, whether we want to ascribe to them some kind of physicality, whether we want to see in them some kind of a strange creature that, uh, that maybe is possessed by, you know, by demonic forces, there are a lot of things here that kind of cause us to wonder and scratch our head. But when it's all said and done, I think that what we should see here is true demonic activity taking place in a time yet in the future. And so we might say that whatever there has been by way of demonic activity in the past or even in the present, there is coming a time in the history of humanity when there shall be unleashed upon this earth this great onslaught of demonic activity. 
demonic activity. And it's interesting the way that uh, the, the, the way that they're described here. They're described as these locusts, but not as ordinary locusts. There are these things that are attributed to them that make us understand that these cannot be just natural locusts, that these are these locusts that have these uh, descriptions given to them. And it's kind of interesting, as I said before, how this, uh, how the approach to interpreting uh, this, uh, this passage of Scripture uh, has been given in the past. Uh, sometimes this passage of Scripture has been, looking at, has been looked at as the great movements of humanity and the great movements of armies uh, in times past. It's interesting that uh, there are many commentators historically that look in this ninth chapter of the book of Revelation and actually see the rise of Islam in this uh, ninth chapter of the book of Revelation as Islam spread upon the earth. And whatever there may have been by way of the, by way of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the quickness of which uh, Islam uh, spread in the seventh century, I don't think that that's ultimately what, this is, being, what is being referred to here. Roman Catholic uh, uh, commentators have said that this is this was a this is a reference to the rise of Lutheranism and Protestantism, and I don't think that that's a reference to it either. I think what we're seeing here is something that is yet in the future, something yet that is to befall humanity. So many of us have heard uh, descriptions of this and or explanations of this ninth chapter uh, given by way of great military uh, things that go on, now the the helicopters and <clears throat> and things of that nature. I don't think that that's necessarily being referred to either. I think that while this passage of scripture has some difficulties in trying to get our, our minds around it, I think what, what is being said when, when, when everything is finished is that there is to be unleashed on humanity a great onslaught of demonic force and demonic power. And this is all intended to do what? To bring torment to humanity. Now this is very interesting. Because the first four judgments, the first four trumpet judgments, and let me say something about trumpets. These trumpets, again, are designed to call men and women to repentance. That's what it's for. These, these judgments that come upon humanity only come upon a portion of humanity. A third of the waters you remember there in chapter 8. A third of humanity here in chapter 9. And the idea here is that God is not, again, showing a total uh, judgment on, on, on humankind. Excuse <clears throat> me. But rather what he is doing is he is using these judgments to move men and women to repentance. <clears throat> and so here we have, as I said before, these judgments. In chapter 8, as I said, the judgments were upon the physical earth. Judgments upon the waters. Judgments upon the land. But now in these next judgments, they are upon humanity itself. And so a third of mankind is now suffering with this tormenting judgment. And what's happening here by way of these locusts, whatever, whatever they are, they have the ability to torment humanity. We see this in verses 5 and 6. Notice what we have here. <clears throat> and to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented. And their torment was the tor torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days men shall seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. What a time that is being discussed here. But did you notice something there in verse 4 when we read it? That these locusts, whatever else they are, these demonic forces, whatever they are, they are under the control of Almighty God. They cannot harm those who have the mark of God upon them. Look there in verse 4. What we see, 
And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men that have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And there is a sense in which we are seeing this during this time in which God is bringing about these, 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 these judgments upon the earth. Those who know Jesus Christ by faith are preserved from, this, uh, from, from, from the wrath of these locusts. They are preserved from this time of judgment. And this reminds us of the importance of faith in Jesus Christ at all times, but particularly in those times when we see things that cause us to wonder. When we see these great movements and we think, is this the judgment of God upon the earth? When we see things that happen in the natural order and we wonder, is this the judgment of God upon the earth? When we see these great movements politically, these great upheavals, and we wonder, is this the judgment of God upon earth? And so again, the answer to that question, whatever it may be, we take, we take comfort in the fact that those of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, we have the mark of God upon us. And these, again, these locusts, these demonic forces, whatever they are, are not given any authority or any power to hurt, to hurt or to harm us. And so, again, the purpose here is to bring about uh, repentance. And so the, the locusts. Now we have the description of the locusts in, given in, in verses 7 through 12. And the shape of the locusts were, unto, were like unto horses prepared on the battle, and on their heads were, as it were, crowns of gold, and their faces were as the faces of men, and they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions, and they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of, lion, uh, of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots. I just want you to notice something here. Do you notice how that in the very language of the text, we see, again, language that reminds us that we're probably talking about symbolic things here. Very few times is it said that these locusts are something. They are locusts. But normally, but usually what we see here now is that by way of the description, it's as they had this or as they had that. And what I want you to realize from that is that's an indicator that symbolic language is being used here. And so it's not so much that we see these locusts by way of this golden crown or this hair or this breastplate of iron. What we're seeing rather are something that the, that the Apostle John is using to describe the, the events that are being uh, laid out here. And so we are, be, we are seeing symbolic language in this passage of Scripture. And that's what gives, as I said before, that's what gives uh, interpreters and commentators a difficulty in trying to understand this. Now, as I said before, there are some commentators that, that see this all strictly in human terms. There are some commentators that see this as having already taken place within the first century. They would see this as the approaching armies of Rome uh, overrunning the city of Jerusalem. Others have seen this, again, as I said before, as the great movements militarily uh, uh, throughout, uh, throughout, throughout human history. My understanding of this passage of scripture is this is all yet future. This is really, again, in that time of the tribulation that we have yet to enter into. But again, we see so much around us that makes us understand that the things that are being described here, we can easily see. And many of those who have seen this passage of scripture is referring to the future. They've, 
the way they described it is by taking, uh, is, by, is, is by pointing out the, the kind of similarity that we see uh, by way of military might in the things that we see here. As I said before, we've all heard the, the, uh, the interpretations of this passage of Scripture that said that the things that are referring to here are, are, are aircraft or, or other types of, uh, other types of uh, uh, mechanisms of war. I do think it's interesting that as, as uh, humanity advances by way of its technology, uh, the, the, one of the latest things in military technology is now this swarm, uh, uh, drone swarms. And you could just easily think of how easily a drone swarm would look like a plague of locusts. But I, I think it would be wrong for me to identify something that concrete with this. I don't know exactly what this passage is conveying to us by way of its literal understanding. But I do think that there is something by way of, of the, uh, the, the reality of the locusts, the reality, there's a physicality to this passage of Scripture that we should not deny. But by the same token, there is the presence of this demonic activity that is taking place at the very same time. And so again, how do we approach this passage of Scripture? And how do we find safety, as it were, in this passage of Scripture? Well, let me say this. First of all, I believe at this time, because of my view of, of, of eschatology, I believe that the church will have been raptured at this time. But there, are, there will be those who come to faith in Jesus Christ uh, during the time of the tribulation. And what keeps them from this judgment of God is the mark of God upon them. And I would say this to you here and now for you and me. Do we have this mark of God upon us? Well, what is the mark of God? If nothing else, it is the seal of the Spirit of God upon your soul that you received when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And so again, whatever else we see by way of this passage of Scripture, we're reminded of the saving work of God. And so again, this, this, uh, this reference to these, uh, to these locusts. And so again, these locusts were tormenting locusts. They were given to torment men for five months. It is interesting. It's one of these things where we see direct parallels. Uh, the, the, the seasonal life of locusts is about five months. After five months, they die. They, 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 you know, they, 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 they run their, their course, so to speak. And so again, this is what makes us to think, is, that, is this actual locust being referred to here? What kind of a locust is this? Is this some, you know, and I've wondered by way of this passage of scripture, as we saw the uh, demons entering into the, the herd of swine, I wonder maybe that's something what's happening here. But all this is speculation. And I don't want to get kind of bogged down into this, into this fruitless speculation. What I want to do is I want to, I want to point out to you, at least in this section, about the value of having the mark of God upon your soul. And so that's what we see by way of these locusts. The second thing that we see now is this sixth judgment, this sixth trumpet that sounded. Look there in verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which had prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. Here we have an increasing severity in the judgment now. The judgment is still a trumpet judgment. It's still a call to repentance. And it's a call to repentance by an increasing severity of judgment. And there's a sense in which God is saying to humanity, you must break off of your sins. You must repent. And if you fail to repent, disaster will ensue. 
And so again, by way of this sixth judgment now, disaster comes. And this is the judgment. If previously the locusts were the judgment of plague and pestilence, this sixth judgment now is the judgment of warfare upon humanity. We've seen these things in the past. In Revelation chapter 6, the four horsemen, again, parallel these things. And this is why many commentators, you've heard me say this in the past, many commentators believe that in the book of Revelation, by way of the, the judgments, the opening of the seals, the, 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 the blowing of the trumpets, and then the pouring out of the bowls, many commentators see that as a repetition that takes place in the book of Revelation. As I said before, even though I think that there's a lot to be said for that, I, I don't, that's not where I find. Uh, my understanding of the book of Revelation. I see it rather as progressive judgments going forward. But anyway, some, uh, some commentators do see this, and this is part of the reason why. In, in Revelation chapter 6, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you remember there was famine and there was warfare. Well, here again, we see pestilence, plagues, and warfare. And so by way of this warfare, what happens? A third of humanity are slain. How does this happen? Well, again, there in verse 14, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound by the great river Euphrates. How do we understand this? Well, as I see this, as I understand this, I think the book of Daniel is helpful at this time. We see that there are these angelic beings that do have, again, responsibility for nations. And I believe what's happening here is that there is a stirring up of political activity. There's a stirring up of warfare upon the earth. We're always, again, concerned about this, are we not? Even in our present hour right now, what are we concerned with concerning Ukraine and Russia? We're concerned with the escalation of that battle to, to, to involve nuclear weapons. And so, again, this concern is always upon humanity. There is always this stirring in the, in the political world to where wars and, uh, wars and uh, rumors of wars are, are, always, are always mentioned and always taking place. And I believe that in the time if, uh, yet future, there will come a time when a third of humanity will be slain by way of warfare. Notice again what we have here. In verse 16 and following, and the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand, and I heard the number of them. You have to understand how almost unfathomable uh, this number is by way of an army. Uh, in, in, in researching this, it was said that uh, in, uh, in World War II, uh, uh, America had 12 million uh, uh, men and, and women in, 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 uh, in, in the services at one time. 12 million. This is 200 million. And many have spoken about almost the impossibility of controlling and, and log logistically uh, being able to take care of this. Many of you know, however, that uh, I think it was back as far back as the 1960s, uh, it was reported that China had, a, had an, a standing army of over 200 million men. So however this is taking place, however this is going to come to pass, and I do believe that in this passage of Scripture, this section of Re Revelation chapter 9, we are seeing true warfare, political warfare uh, taking place. And so again, this, this, uh, this, this great catastrophe upon humanity Look there now in verses 17. It's kind of interesting. In both of these sections of chapter 9, the locusts are described by way, by way of what they do. And then there is a description of them. <clears throat> the same thing here in the second part of the chapter. We have this, this, uh, this reference to a third part of humanity being uh, slain in warfare. And then we have a description of the instruments of warfare. Notice again what we have in, in, um, in verses 17 and following. And I saw the horses 
in the vision, and on them that sat upon them, having breastplates of fire and jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were the heads of the were heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued uh, smoke and fire and brimstone. And by these three were a third part of men killed by fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For verse nineteen, for their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads and and with them they do hurt. But what I want you to see here is once again, we have the incorporation of symbolic language, do we not? They were like unto this, and they were like unto that. They were, it was as this and as that. And so very clearly we're dealing with symbolic language. And to be very honest with you, the details of the symbolism, I can't draw a one-to-one a one parallel for. But what I want you to see again is not so much the, the detail of the symbolism that's being used here, but the reality of the fact that God is bringing about by way of these trumpet judgments a call throughout the entire world to turn from their sin and to repent and come to faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, to break off of their sin. But isn't it heart-rendering that when we read this passage and we think, well, surely this will bring them to repentance? Surely mankind will turn from his sin when this happens? When this kind of calamity comes upon uh, 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 the world or a nation or an individual, surely that will bring them to repentance? But what do we read? Look there in verses 20 and 21. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues. What plagues? The plagues of the locusts and the plague of warfare. Yet repent them not of the works of their hands. Oh, this, 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 this disturbs us, doesn't it? This, this, this causes our heart to, uh, to break, does it not? How can it be that individuals could be so persistent in their sin, so hardened in their way, that even these kind of calamities will not lead them to repentance? And what this reminds us of, and I think this is really where the center of this entire sermon needs to be, isn't so much on the description of the symbolism and trying to draw a parallel to it and to figure out whether it's helicopters or drone swarms or whatever it might be that's being described here. What's being described here is the hardness of men's hearts. That in spite of everything by way of what God is doing, they refuse to repent. They've had a day of grace, we can say it that way. That, that day of grace is right now. That day of grace is this day. Humanity has had a day of grace where the gospel has been freely offered far and wide. No restrictions on any who can come. All may come and freely take of the water of life. They've had a day of grace. They've had a day of, of judgments and even of increasing judgments. And yet again, what we see here is the fact that humanity, those who remain, refuse to repent. Oh, this is heartbreaking, as I said before. And what it reminds us of is it reminds us of how much we must take advantage of this day of grace. We must take advantage of this day of grace by way of our own, by way of the welfare of our own souls. But we must take advantage of this day of grace by way of the proclamation of the gospel. Your neighbors have this day to believe if we can say it that way. Your friends and your family members have today to believe. Number one, tomorrow is not promised to any of us. We know that. But number two, there is coming a time of the outpouring of the wrath of God. When men will be so hardened in their sins that even these judgments will not shake them off of their sins. And what that reminds us of, that reminds us of at least two things, probably three, but at least two things. Number one, it reminds us of the nature of sin. What is it about sin that makes individuals so reluctant to leave it off? What is it about sin by way of its tenacity? What is it, what is it about sin, if I can use like maybe modern terminology, by way of its addictive nature? What is it about sin that compels and becomes a compulsion within? 
It's the nature of sin itself. You've heard me say this before, that, that sin is an active principle that always seeks to dominate. Sin is, never, sin is never content to just be settled in one little area of your life. Sin may for now be content for that, but sin is always looking to increase and to, and, and to increase its influence over you, and it will. This is why the psalmist cries out again against presumptuous sins, and he prays that they would not have dominion over the, over, over the psalmist. That's the nature of sin, to dominate. It's these, it's again, it's, 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 we see, we see it in the natural realm and certainly in the supernatural realm. This idea of sin as a principle that seeks to dominate. There's something about it. And it reminds us again, this, this mystery of iniquity. What is it? What is it about sin that causes an individual to be so wrapped up in it that even while he or she is in the midst of it can say, I know this will damn my soul, but they refuse to give it up. Even in the face of the judgments of God upon it, they refuse to give it up. What is it about sin? And so again, we see that this passage of Scripture tells us something about the nature of sin. But this passage of Scripture also, in a related way, tells us something about the nature of the human heart. That the na nature of the human heart, by way of its, by way of its own uh, uh, settled disposition, it is contrary to the things of God. The human heart, by way of its nature, again, uh, uh, Jeremiah says that the, that the heart is, is desperately wicked and deceitful, uh, deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. What is it about the nature of the heart? And so again, this passage of Scripture shows us again that the issue with humanity is their heart. The issue with, with humanity, the issue with humankind, with you and with me, is the nature of our heart. And that's what's so significant about that reference that we saw early in the chapter. Those who have the mark of God upon them. What is the mark of God? It's the work of the Spirit of God upon the soul. You see, the heart has been broken off by way of its sin, by way of its, by way of its allegiance primarily to sin. Yes, there are still temptations. But the Christian, again, when all is said and done, he desires his heart to be in the hands of God. Where do you desire your heart to be today? Now, let me say this. You may say, I don't desire my heart to be in sin. I don't desire my heart to be there. But let me ask you this. Do you desire your heart to be within your own hands? That's a problem too, you see. This is one of the other things that we see about sin, about, about the nature of the heart and the nature of sin. By way of the nature of heart, the, by way of the nature of the heart, man is willing to say, or man is, is really self-inclined, that man will do all that or, or those things which best suit his own nature. And I'm saying to you that the mark of the Christian is he has surrendered his or her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this passage of scripture that says so much then about the nature of the judgments of God also has much to say about the nature of sin and the nature of our heart. And so this morning, what do we need, what do we need to know and understand? We need to know and understand what was read to us this morning from Ezekiel chapter 18, that God calls us to get a new heart. Get you a new heart, he says, why will you die? And maybe you look at a passage of scripture like this in Revelation, and maybe you look at some of these passages that I've, that I've made reference to, and you think to yourself, I do need a new heart. But you realize that you don't have the ability to get yourself a new heart. Isn't that what we see there in the, in the book of Ezekiel? God says, get you a new heart. And the individual says, where am I going to get a new heart? My heart is inclined to sin, this sin that I don't want to give up. And then God comes in and says, I will give you a new heart. And you say, well, how is that? What's well, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm saying to you this morning then, you must understand that a new heart is only found in Christ, but a new heart indeed is found in Christ. 
And all those who come to faith in Jesus Christ, they will be broken off from their sin. They will have the mark of God upon them. And so whether or not this passage of scripture here in Revelation chapter 9 is, is in the near future, whether or not uh, like some people believe that this, this chapter in the book of Revelation has taken place centuries ago. I don't believe that at all, but some do. I'm saying to you the difference there, the distinction is having the mark of God upon you. And the mark of God is the surrender of the heart and soul to Jesus Christ by faith. You see, God is the one who sets before you his son. And all those who respond in faith to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ have the mark of God upon them. I think of that passage of scripture in the pastoral epistles where, where Paul writes, I believe it's to Timothy. And he says, again, that, uh, that, that uh, all those, uh, uh, that, oh, and forgive me for not having this passage of scripture at the tip of my lips. Um, but uh, it speaks, Paul speaks about the, the, the seal of God and all those who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. What is the seal of God? It's not a physical seal that's put upon you. It's a spiritual seal whereby you and in your heart and your inclinations are all designed or all directed toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And so may God give us grace to see these things. May God give us grace to look again into the word of God and see in the person of Christ the fulfillment of God's promise. What promise is that? Ezekiel 36 verses 25 and th through 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you. You shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols where I cleanse you. A new heart will I also give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Do you understand then that this is the way in which God is bringing us to uh, uh, bringing us uh, to, to faith. Now, let's take a look here again in in, in, in uh, Revelation nine verses twenty and twenty one. Notice the sins that are listed here, and the rest of the men which were not killed by the plagues yet repented not of their works, of their hands that they should not worship devils nor idols nor nor idols of gold nor silver or brass or stone of wood which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornications, nor of their thefts. If you take a look at these sins that are listed here, these sins can very, be very broadly categorized as encompassing the entire moral law of God. There are sins against God, the idolatry, and there are sins against humanity. And what we're seeing here, again, as I said before, is this, is this, 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 this addiction to these sins, this compulsion to these sins. Oh, but through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a new heart is given. I think the things that I want you to see here again is, is notice how many of these sins we see in our day. Again, this, this refusal to worship God, this idolatry, this materialism uh, that we see here, the sexual sins that we see mentioned here. And again, I have to say this. You must understand it's part of the nature of sin. As I said before, don't forget this. Sin has a tenacity to it. And that's why, as the people of God, one of the things that we want to make sure of is that we don't allow sin in any way, shape, or form to creep in and to dominate the life. Sin will dominate the mind. Sin will dominate the actions. Sin will dominate the entire soul. Thank God through the, through the cross of Jesus Christ that dominion has been broken. But Christians, don't play with sin. Sin will show itself to be the very, the very cause uh, of your misery in this world. And to those of you maybe that are here that don't know Jesus Christ by faith, I'm saying to you, sin is your master. And you must forsake that master. You must come to Jesus Christ by faith. And the only way that you can do that is to cry out to him to be merciful to you. That's what these judgments are designed to do. 
And so what I would say to you is hear the voice of Jesus Christ in this passage of Scripture. The trumpets that are being blown are trumpets to call men and women to repentance and the faith. And so this passage of Scripture has so much by way of symbol, so much by way of question, so much by way of how we understand this and how we understand that. I can give you a rundown of how, how this passage of Scripture has been interpreted throughout history. As I said before, some have seen this as, a, as, a, as, as, as the things that befell uh, the, 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 the city of Jerusalem in the first century. Others have seen this as the great movements of, 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 political, of, of, geo, of geopolitics throughout history. I think, as I said before, I think this is yet future. But until that time, what do we see? The consistent call of the word of God is. It's the call to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So then this passage I set before you, these calls are calls to repentance. And how then should we conclude a, a sermon like this? I want to conclude it in, again, two ways. Number one, I want you to realize that you and I should be aware of circumstances in history and circumstances in our personal life where God may be calling us to turn away from our sins. That our engagement thoughtfully and spiritually and the things that we encounter and go through in life, we don't do it apart from the question of what is God doing in my life in this moment? Is the hardness of my heart or the blindness of my heart being exposed by God by way of circumstances that he is using by way of their design to shake me off of my sin and to bring me to repentance? God will do that, you know. God will work in that way in our lives. And so what I want to say to you is this. Learn to recognize God's call in your life to repent and repent. Let's not hold on to our sin. Let's not be so foolish as to think that there's no way that sin can have dominion over me. There's no way that sin can have this, this uh, there's no way that sin can wreak havoc in my life. It most certainly can. And so again, what I'm calling each of us to then here today is to examine ourselves in the light of God's call to repent. Do I have sins? Do you have sins that we are holding on to? Are there things that we are playing around with by way of a looseness of our walk before God? Oh, again, what I would say to you, realize that God's call is a call to repent. But the second thing that I would say to you is what I've mentioned in the past, in the weeks past. And the second thing I want you to see by way of this passage of Scripture is that what God is calling you and me to right now, I believe that, again, Revelation chapter 9 is yet future, but what is God calling us to now? It's the very thing that he used to close out the book of Revelation. Notice again, you know the passage, Revelation 22, 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. This is one of the reasons why I believe that the things that are described here in this section of Revelation are still yet future. Because right now is still the day of grace. And in the day of grace, hear me out, in the day of grace, the church is not an instrument of God's vengeance. The church is an instrument of God's evangelization, the call of the gospel. You and I in the church of Jesus Christ are not the avenging angels that we see here. You and I in the church of Jesus Christ are the messengers of salvation to a, to a world that is lost and addicted to its sin. And so what do we do? We, 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 we do what this very passage says. We, we go far and wide and we say, come and drink of the water of life freely. We incorporate the language of, of Isaiah chapter 55. Ho, everyone that thirst, 
Come ye to the waters. He that has no money, come and buy. Yea, eat, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Notice again the, the question that's asked. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which satisfies not? Hearken diligently unto me, and ye eat that which is good, and let your delight and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. This is God speaking. Here and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Do you see this invitation that God is giving in this present time? As I said before, as the church of Jesus Christ, we are not instruments of God's vengeance. We are not instruments of God's wrath. We are instruments of God's communication of his desire that souls be saved. Why will you die? The God asked through the prophet, come, look to the Lord Jesus Christ and live. Yes, there is coming a day of unparalleled disaster and unparalleled activity by way of demonic forces, unparalleled, uh, uh, again, uh, a destruction by way of warfare. And you know what's interesting? Uh, again, forgive me for stepping back here a little bit, but you know what's interesting? Here in the ninth chapter, men are not repenting. I don't know if they're taking God into, into the equation by way of God's hand of judgment, but in the 16th chapter, they will. In the 16th chapter, again, we see the pouring out of God's now, now the, the bold judgments. And at that point, you have humanity actually cursing God and refusing to repent. Oh, the hardness of heart, the addictive and the compulsive nature of sin. And the only way that that can be broken is through this mark that God places on the soul that mark of the Spirit of God giving to you and to me a new heart. Why will you die? Come and drink of the waters of life freely. Our Heavenly Father, we ask and we pray that we as the church of Jesus Christ might see ourselves again, not as instruments of vengeance, not of instruments of wrath, but of instruments of your good mercy and grace towards sinners. Give us grace to proclaim that message, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.